It's very abrupt when it ends, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> very abrupt. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, again, so thankful that you're here this morning. Thankful that we have the opportunity to gather. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, we're we're going to continue on in our series, The Lost Art of Gratitude. And this week, we'll be in Luke 18. So if you have your copy of the Bible, turn to Luke chapter 18. It's where we'll be this morning. And... Um, one of the things that Pastor Derek shared with us last week was what I'm going to call the great reversal, all right? The great reversal is what I'm going to kind of talk about this morning, that the one who was least likely in the minds of Luke's readers to return in gratitude was the only one who came back to thank Jesus. You remember that story from last week? Does everybody remember seven days ago? Everybody? Okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Sometimes that's hard, I know, but... Um, but last week we talked about how Jesus cleanses these ten lepers and only the Samaritan comes back to thank Jesus for, for uh, healing him. But in actuality, this is a regular theme in the book of Luke. I mean, think about it for just a second, that um, a humble virgin is the one who gives birth to the Messiah. The great reversal, right? The angels announce Jesus' birth to lowly shepherds. A great reversal, not the people you would think would get the announcement. In Luke 7, there's a centurion who has greater faith than the people of God. In Luke 10, a Samaritan shows mercy instead of a Levite or a priest. In Luke 15, the prodigal is forgiven instead of the older brother. And last week, like we said, we saw a Samaritan return to thank Jesus instead of the Jews. And our passage today is going to follow a very similar model. So let's look at Luke 18, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Follow along with me. He, it's talking about Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, Adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I get tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted, exalted. Let's pray together. God, we have read your word. There's power in your word. And Father, I pray that right now you would help us to see your word, that we would hear you, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, use me as your mouthpiece. Let us see your goodness and grace today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... This passage is interesting, and Luke does this a lot as you, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, but he actually explains the parable to us before actually recounting the parable. Look again at what he says in verse 9. He's, Luke is talking about Jesus. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So as we continue through the parable, we're going to see that this is exactly what happens, that Jesus is making a point, and Luke says, hey, here's the point that Jesus is going to make before he makes it, all right? So we're all on the same page, right? And today, as we continue through this, what we're going to see is that self-righteousness 
will always derail our ability to be grateful. Self-righteousness always derails our ability to be grateful. And so just as Luke explains himself before giving the parable, I'm going to do the same thing. Today, we are going to see that humility is the key to a grateful heart. If you take notes, I would encourage you to write that down. That's not on the screen, so don't worry about it, guys. But if you take notes, take, take this down. Humility is the key to a grateful heart. So let's dig into this passage and see what God has for us to learn. The first thing that we see here is that self-righteousness blinds us to reality. Self-righteousness blinds us to reality. As we mentioned just a moment ago, this parable is addressed to people who place their trust in themselves and believe that they are righteous. These are people who look at themselves and say, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got it figured out. I'm doing okay. I don't need anybody's help. I definitely don't need God's help. I've got it figured out. That's who this is addressed to. And not only do they trust in themselves, but they also despise other people that they deem are not righteous. And this really is the insidious thing of self-righteousness is part of the way that it blinds us to reality is that if we are living a self-righteous life, we believe that we are better than other people. We're doing it better than other people. Other people don't get it like we do, and we're able to do it better than them. This kind of self-righteousness blinds us because it's not actually what's happening around us. In fact, this kind of thought process is what Paul would rail against later in the New Testament, especially in the letter to the Romans where he wrote this in Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And when he says no, not one, what he means is not one. None of us are righteous on our own. None of us. He continues on. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I wish that Paul would have been a little more clear as to how he felt about people thinking they were righteous, right? It's pretty strong language there. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths is misery and ruin. Strong words. This is the kind of thing that we're talking about here. And we give, we are given this Pharisee as an example. This Pharisee that we find here trusts in his own righteousness because of what he has done. He believes that he has worked his way into a good standing with God because of what he has done. And in his mind, he doesn't actually need God. He has worked himself into this position all by himself. When in reality, he is a lost sinner just like every other person on, in that temple and on this planet. We are all in need of grace just as much as any other person. You see, I, I think this parable is included here because self-trust is not something that is confined only to the Pharisees. It is a common human problem that we all deal with. If we're all honest with ourselves and with each other, then I think we'll admit that there are times when we live as if we have the ability to work our way into good standing before others and God. 
Now, you may not have voiced it just like this, but you might think, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. I'm doing pretty good out here, and I think God is really benefiting well from me being on his side. But the truth of the matter is that we are all equally sinners in need of a Savior to stand in the gap for us and rescue us. We all need Jesus. We see the Pharisees' blindness to reality in his posture. Look at what it says again uh, in verse 10. Uh, it says, the men, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other the tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And this doesn't mean that he's off to the side just because he wanted to talk with just him and God. But he has separated himself. He's distancing himself from other sinners that he believes would defile him. He doesn't want to be made unclean by the riffraff that's there in the temple in his mind. He's self-satisfied. He's smug. He considers himself too holy to be close to others who might potentially pull him down. And it seems that the Pharisee, who was a student of the Scriptures, the Pharisees knew the Scriptures in and out, but it seems like this Pharisee had learned nothing about his standing before God. He, was, he has an unusually high self-worth, and he's actually blinded to reality. And before we so quickly look down our noses at this Pharisee, I think let's be uncomfortable for just a minute, all of us, myself included. I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves daily if we're beginning to think of ourselves as having achieved righteousness on our own. It's subtle at first. It's subtle how it sneaks into our lives. We think that because we've read our Bible or because we haven't missed a Sunday at church this month, God must be happy with us. The way God views us, let me break the news to you, is not dependent on what we do. The way that God views us is dependent on who he is and what he did at the cross. Now, we should do those things. We should be reading our Bible. We should be attending church. But those are not things that God looks at and goes, oh, good job, Jason. Read the Bible. Oh, you're at church. Good job. Very good. You prayed. All right. God's not doing that. That should be an overflow of our desire to want to chase after God all the more. It's not boxes that we're checking off so that we might get into right standing with him. <coughs> so we must be on guard daily against this type of mindset. May we begin each day confessing our dependence on God and not ourselves because self-righteousness is a slippery slope that will lead to pride. The second thing that we see here in this passage is that pride destroys our ability to be thankful. Pride destroys our ability to be thankful. And we need to take a look at this quote-unquote prayer that comes from the Pharisee. Now, at face value, it, it seems like a fine prayer. He thanks God for all that he's accomplished. I mean, you could even say that from a certain perspective, he's glorifying God for the things that he's done. But Jesus will tell us in just a moment that this Pharisee exalted himself, and he cannot truly be giving thanks to God. So let's look a little deeper. This prayer is filled with himself. The Pharisee prays about himself. Listen to it again. In verse, uh, this is the second half of verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithings, or I give tithes of all that I get. 
In the span of two short sentences, he uses the word I five times. It shows how full of himself and how prideful he truly is. We can see that this Pharisee views the fact that he hasn't fallen into these sins he's mentioned as a direct result of what he is doing. God, I'm doing all these things. There's no sense of thanks for what God has done in this prayer. It's only a list of personal achievements for the Pharisee. In fact, he believes that he's actually done more than what God required. He says he fasts twice a week, and it says he tithes on everything he gets. And those requirements were not requirements of the law. It was not required to fast twice a week. They were not required to give a tenth of everything they got. When it comes to giving thanks, this Pharisee believes that he's in a category all his own. I mean, it says that he sees the tax collector, and he cannot help but, uh, but to draw attention to the fact that he believes he's better than him. This Pharisee may thank God with his words, but in reality, he's telling God how fortunate he is to be on his side. The sin of pride makes us look down on others and elevate ourselves above everyone else. It destroys our ability to see all that God has done for us. That's why pride destroys our ability to be thankful, because we cannot see what someone else has done for us. We're so proud of ourselves. We are completely dependent on God to make it through this life, but pride will very sneakily find its way into our lives. Again, do you ever find yourself secretly congratulating yourself for having done a quiet time? Like, yeah, man, I feel good about that. I did that. I did that today, yeah. Do you ever find yourself going, man, I was really moral today. I waved that guy on at the stop sign when I could have just gone, right? You feel really good about yourself. Now, we should be kind. We should read our Bible. We should spend time with God, but we're only able to do those things because of the grace of God. You and I, we're incapable on our own. So we should be thankful each day for the strength to continue in Christ. So pride destroys our ability to be thankful. But we need to turn our attention to the other character in this parable, the tax collector. (coughs) And before we do that, I think it would be helpful to remember how tax collectors were viewed in this society, that tax collectors were considered horrible people in the Jewish community. In the Gospels, they are often grouped with prostitutes, thieves, and liars. Tax collectors worked with the Roman authorities to collect exorbitant taxes for the empire from their fellow Jews, and they often outright stole money from them. They would take more than what the empire required. But look at this tax collector's attitude. Look at what it says. Verse 13. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He feels completely unworthy to even address God in prayer. It it doesn't say, like the Pharisee, that he's standing by himself. No, it says he's standing far off. He doesn't even think he can be near the presence of God. And look at his posture. He's so full of shame over his sin that he cannot even lift his eyes to heaven. But instead, he beats his chest in grief over his sinful behavior. This is a posture of humility. And the thing that we see here is that humility is the doorway to gratitude. That's the the third thing we see here. Humility is is the doorway to gratitude. Let's look at his prayer. 
In most translations, his prayer is translated as, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what most translations say. The Greek verb that's translated, be merciful to me, is a word, helasthetai. Helasthetai. This verb is found here in Luke 18, and it's only found one other place in the New Testament. So I think it would be important for us to look at that instance of it. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation, that verb right there, halasthetai, halasthetai. So to make propitiation, that's a really long theological word, which means that Jesus made atonement for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. So in actuality, the tax collector is not necessarily just asking for mercy as much as he's saying, God, grant atonement for my sins. He's praying to God to cover over his sins and for God's wrath to be removed from his life. This tax collector is praying for salvation. He's humbling himself and saying, God, I have done wrong in front of you, and I need you to save me. He's posturing himself in humility before the creator of the universe and asking for salvation that he knows he cannot find anywhere else, and he cannot find it on his own. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the tax collector does not say anything about what he has done for God. He does not parade himself before God or others. He casts himself on God's mercy and asks for atonement for his sins. And the important thing here is that we get a glimpse of what the tax collector was feeling in his heart. He felt unworthy to be in God's presence because he was aware of his sin. And this is where gratitude begins. When we are truly humble, we feel our sin before God. We understand our deep need for him to atone for us, to cover over our sin. And here's the glorious thing. Jesus did that. He did atone for our sins at the cross. And if we accept that gift of grace and atonement, we can have our sins forgiven. So when we have a proper view of who we are and who God is, and when we humble ourselves before him, as the tax collector does, that is when we truly begin to be grateful for all that God has done. But not only... <coughs> Not only this humility is the doorway to gratitude, but the final thing that we see here in this passage is that God gives grace and mercy to those with a humble heart. So in verse 14, the parable ends, and then Jesus offers his explanation. The tax collector is justified and declared to be in the right and not the Pharisee. This would have been shocking for Jesus' readers or for Jesus' hearers to hear this. The Pharisee is not justified because he exalted himself. But the tax collector is justified because he humbled himself. The Pharisee was so proud of himself, and in effect, he worships himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, places all of his hope in forgiveness that can only come from God. This is the example for us. We must live in humility if we are ever going to live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. <clears throat> Listen to James 2, or I'm sorry, James 4, verse 6. 
He mentions this truth in his letter when he writes, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We can be grateful that God is eager to give grace to those who will humble themselves before him, but he opposes the proud. The Pharisee rejected God's gift of forgiveness because he chose to glorify himself. We must follow the example of the tax collector in this parable and live in humility before God. So, what do we do with this parable? Well, I think there's two things. First, I think we must be honest with ourselves and with God. We like to excuse our sin instead of admit it to God. We cannot justify ourselves. You can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot remove the stain of sin from my own life. God wants us to come to him, to leave our excuses behind, and in humility admit that we need him to forgive us of our sins. Our only hope, our only hope in this life is for God to show us mercy, which he did at the cross. Thomas Schreiner is a theologian, and I think he sums it up well when he says this. The good news of the gospel and this parable is that God is merciful to those who admit they are sinners, to those who are contrite in heart. We do not have to pretend we are righteous. We can admit that we have struggles and we sin. This is the way to forgiveness and paradoxically to righteousness. When we admit that we are unrighteous, is the first step toward finding righteousness in God. So that's the first thing. We have to be honest. We have to admit that we struggle. But secondly, I think Luke was trying to teach his readers that justification only comes from God. There's no way to work ourselves into right standing with God. So we must live daily in a posture of humility. This is where the great reversal takes place. When we realize that we contribute nothing to our salvation other than the sin that makes it necessary, that's when we can begin to truly be grateful for all that God has done. So here's how we respond this morning. We come to the altar. We say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I have no ability to work into right standing with you. I have no ability to atone for my own sin. I have no ability to remove the, stain, the stain of sin from my life, but I know you can. I know you can, God. So we come to this altar. We lay down our excuses. We lay down our pride. We lay down our righteous feelings, and we pick up humility, and we pick up God's grace, and we take it with us. That's how we respond this morning. So this is the time when God is working. If you feel God drawing you into humility, into an understanding that you cannot do this on your own, you cannot live life on your own, come and accept that gift. If you've been with us for a while and you realize, man, this is where God wants me to be. This is the time to come and say, hey, I'm going to stake my flag here. But let's come to this altar. I'm going to ask you, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to respond in worship. Come before the Lord in humility. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, you're good. You are just. You alone are righteous, God. 
We worship you for it today. God, we recognize that we cannot live a life of gratitude and thankfulness if we are filled with pride and self-righteousness. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would remove that from our hearts. You would help us to pick up humility and to depend totally on you and then live a life of gratitude for all that you've done in us and through us. God, thank you for how you love us. Work now, Holy Spirit. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.